First of all, I want to say congratulations to any students that we have that may have uh, went through graduation. It's that time of the year, right? Amen. So whether you're graduating from elementary to middle school, from middle school to high school, high school to college, they got so many graduations now, I don't know, I mean, just from one grade to the next, but praise God for achieving another level. And so uh, the students should be proud for reaching another grade. Uh, I'll say congratulations to the parents and to the grandparents as well. They should be proud and just working with our students through the year. Uh, I know that nothing can be more stressful than going through a school year with your child, right? Uh, in particular, around the time when those report cards come out. Amen? Trying to see what those grades look like. Uh, and when you think about report cards, when I think about grades, if you, if you still have a child in school, or even if you had a child in school at one point, you know the most important thing are those grades on that report card. And one thing is for sure that no responsible parent would be pleased or satisfied if their child came home with a D, right? Um, it's passing, but you want your child to do better. You want them to do the best that they can, they can do, right? Uh, but sometimes even though your child comes home with a D, they, they may uh, proclaim those words, at least I'm passing. It's something that just gets into... Uh, gets in your nerves a little bit whenever, you, whenever your child says, at least I'm passing. Uh, and while a child may think there's no difference between an A or a D because they are passing, uh, we as parents know better, right? We know that, that there are better opportunities afforded to your child when they get better grades, right? Whether it's scholarships or whether it's uh, when they graduate from high school or college and just the job opportunities, or just the overall potential for a better future. You want your child to excel in their grades, right? While some of us wouldn't settle for our kids getting D's or even maybe even average grades, in a sense we do the same in our Christian walk when we never seek to grow in our faith. Some of us, sometimes we're kind of content with just believing in Jesus and that's it. Not seeking to grow at all in our faith, not seeking to trust God more and more. And to have that attitude is about like your child saying, at least I'm passing. At least I'm getting into heaven. That's the mindset I think we have sometimes. If I can just get into heaven, that's all I care about. But not seeking to necessarily grow in our faith, not seeking to gain a deeper relationship with God. And that's what we're kind of seeing when it comes to faith. I'm afraid that is the state of our faith at times. We, we care about life. We care about life with God. We do care about having a relationship with God, but that at times we, we just don't treasure it as much as we should. The truth is, we only say at least I'm passing with those, thing, those things that we care the least about. When we really don't care about things to the utmost. We say, at least I'm passing. Just doing enough to get by, right? 
But you notice we never seek mediocrity in the things we treasure the most. We do our best at those things, right? Whether it's with our talents or whether it's at work or whatever the case may be, if it's something that we truly, truly care about and is truly close to our heart, we do not seek mediocrity in those things. While none of us trust Jesus perfectly, our aim should be to trust him more and more and to to grow in our faith, to cultivate our faith. And we should all be striving for amazing faith so that we would experience the blessing that comes from a deeper relationship with Jesus. And not just the the material blessings that we're not talking about that, but we're talking about the the, the blessings that that this, this world can't give and can't take away. We're talking about the blessings that come from knowing Jesus more, from knowing that he's faithful, from knowing that he's good, from knowing that God will never leave you nor forsake you. Those are the blessings that come from trusting in Jesus more and more. And if we're not growing in our faith, if we're not trusting in God more and more as we walk along this Christian walk, then we will miss out on some of those blessings that only come as we learn to trust in him more and more. Today I want to talk to you about pursuing greater faith. To strive for faith that is amazing and not just mediocre. Not just settling for where your faith is, but always continuing to grow and to trust God more. If you would, turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 7. As we look at an awesome passage this morning. Luke chapter 7. And if you would, stand for the reading of God's word. I pray as we read this passage, Luke 7, verse 1 through 10, I pray that you will feel the weight of Jesus' emphasis on faith. And that it will drive us to pursue a greater faith. And not just to settle for where we're at in trusting God, but that we will not be content with just believing that Jesus is Lord and Savior, but trusting in him with all of our might, all of our heart, all of our soul. Amen? Luke chapter 7, verse 1 through 10, it reads, After he had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. Now a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued by him. When the centurion heard about Jesus... He sent to him elders of the Jews, asking him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they pleaded with him earnestly, saying, He is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation, and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself. For I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him. And turning to the crowd that followed him said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. 
And, and when those who had been seen, sent returned to the house, they found the servant well. Amen. You may be seated. In this passage, we see the faith of a centurion that is truly, truly amazing. A centurion was a Roman soldier who had command over approximately 100 soldiers in the Roman military. He was the most important officer in the military, one who was highly respected and highly regarded. It usually took a soldier 15 to 20 years to work his way up to the level of a centurion. I believe I also saw where it says that a centurion uh, was so de devoted or dedicated that they were not allowed to marry. So we get kind of a picture of who this centurion is and just uh, what it, it, it consisted of to be a centurion, to be a centurion in the Roman military. But the focus of this passage is on the faith of this centurion. For a centurion to believe in the God of Israel and honor their religion was certainly unusual in this day and time. Yet we have that situation here. We, 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 we have this centurion who was held in, in high esteem among the Jews and is considered to have believed in God. We get a picture of his faith in Jesus through the illness of his servant. The centurion's servant was, was deathly ill. We see this in verse 2 where it says that a centurion had a servant who was sick and at the point of death. And we know that Luke, the writer of this gospel, him being a doctor himself, knows what he's, what he's talking about when he's describing illnesses. Amen? And it says that he is close to death. So we know that Luke is not just exaggerating on his condition. In Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew tells us that uh, the, this, this servant was, his condition was one of paralysis. So his condition was really, really bad. And so we have this centurion who, who hears about Jesus. He hears about Jesus who had recently given what we know of as the Sermon of the Mount. Jesus had given that beautiful Sermon of the Mount as we know of in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. And after giving this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes his way to Capernaum. And after delivering that sermon, we can see him coming and, and, and we see him coming to Capernaum, which was considered to be the base ministry for Jesus Christ. And it's, it, you know, when you think about him coming from the Sermon of the Mount, Sermon on the Mount to Capernaum, it, it's kind of ironic because the, the, the first thing that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, we see that playing a part in this particular passage. And we'll see that here. As we look at this story unfold, the first thing that we see that makes the faith of this centurion so amazing is his dependence on Jesus to heal his servant. We see his dependence on Jesus to heal his servant. Amazing faith is found in those who depend solely on Jesus in every situation, every circumstance. Despite how basic that sounds, nothing will prove to be more challenging to you and to I in our Christian walk than to depend more and more on Jesus Christ. Nothing will, will prove to be more of a challenge to us. Nothing will be more of a struggle for us and, and nothing will, 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 just, will, 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 will stretch us more and more than learning to depend more and more on Jesus and less and less on ourselves. 
Many of us know that we're saved by faith, but sometimes faith, the faith that saves us just doesn't seem to always carry over into trusting God in every aspect of our lives. We believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. We believe that he died on the cross for our sins. And by putting our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we believe that our sins are, are forgiven by God and we will experience eternal life with God forever. We believe this, but sometimes there's a disconnect from that faith and the faith to trust in God day by day in every situation. Especially when we have trials and tribulations come into our life. Knowing that God uses these adversities in our life to test our faith to see if it is genuine. Faith that is unproven cannot be called faith. And so we see that Dependence on Jesus Christ is required if we are going to achieve or pursue a greater faith. Do you depend on Jesus for more than just to save you from your sins? Is he your refuge and your shelter every minute of the day? As we look at verses 2 and 3, we see this kind of playing out. It says that the centurion had a servant, he was sick and at the point of death, who was highly valued. And then we see the centurion hears about Jesus. And he sent him, sent to Jesus the elders of the Jews asking him to come and heal his servant. And so we see his initial dependence on Jesus Christ to heal his servant. And as we look at this centurion, we see that he knew Jesus was not just your average person. He knew that Jesus wasn't just a normal prophet. It, it's questionable if he, if, if he knew that, that Jesus was actually God in the flesh. But he knew that God was empowered, that Jesus was empowered by God. He knew that there was something different about Jesus Christ. And, and what is so amazing, he just hears about Jesus from around the way. Jesus Christ comes to Capernaum. This centurion lives in Capernaum, built the synagogue in Capernaum, word is spreading in Capernaum, and so we know that the centurion starts to hear because word is out on the street about as fast as a Facebook message gets, gets around on Facebook. He hears about this man from Bethlehem, born in Bethlehem and raised in Nazareth. He hears about Jesus Christ, and, and, and we, we see that, that him hearing this, no doubt, no doubt this centurion had heard about Jesus touching a leper and he becoming clean. No doubt he had to hear about how Jesus walked into the synagogue, the very synagogue that he built to, to cast out an evil spirit from one who was, who was stricken. No doubt he heard about how Jesus had healed a man who was paralyzed and and because he was paralyzed, and, and because Jesus' popularity was so great that they had to lower him down the roof of the house in order to get him to Jesus Christ. No doubt, he had to hear about the stories of Jesus Christ. And him hearing about what Jesus Christ has been doing, that led him to depend on Jesus Christ. He didn't see Jesus Christ. That is what's so, so amazing. He didn't see Jesus Christ. There were no YouTube videos to see what was going on. He didn't need evidence like the disciple Thomas to know that, that who Jesus was. 
He didn't didn't need to see a miracle like some of the Jews did to, to believe that Jesus was who he said he was. He didn't need to see a heaven is for real movie to, to strengthen his faith and his belief in God. He just heard about Jesus Christ. He heard the good news about the one who came full of grace and full of truth. And that was enough for him to depend on Jesus. Is that enough for you to depend on Jesus Christ? Are you always seeking for something else to strengthen your faith outside of trusting in Jesus Christ? Are you looking for that next movie to come out to strengthen your faith? He didn't have a Bible with 66 books in it that reveals the mystery of Christ and God's plan to unite all things in him. He didn't have a Christian library with all these commentaries and books about Jesus Christ. But something he did have was faith. And this faith led him to depend on Jesus to heal his servant. Where is your faith? Are you depending on God in every single area of your life? Are you trusting that God has given you eternal salvation, but that he won't supply your daily bread? Are you trusting in him to raise you from the dead, but not to sustain you while you're alive? Such faith is double-minded. To believe in one area his greatness in one, and to deny it in another. We're talking about the God of the universe, the one who controls all and is sovereign over every aspect of your life, not just why you're in the church building, but why you're at the workplace, why you're at home, why you're out on the street. Regardless of where you're at, God is sovereign. And he controls all. For some of us, hearing about Jesus is just not enough. We must see him, we must touch him, we must smell him before we believe. And if that is you, I encourage you to repent, to turn, and to trust in him. If you are one of those people who cannot believe unless you see, I'm afraid that you will see and touch hell sooner than you will see Jesus Christ. And that is the truth. Jesus Christ himself says, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. It's not a threat. It's just the truth. And I pray that you will trust in that name. The name that is above all names. The name in which every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. I pray that you will trust in that name, that name that has authority over all things, that name under which, uh, that name that which under, under heaven, there is no other name under heaven which, which man must be saved, but that name. I pray that you will come to trust in that name. Don't trust in no other name, but Jesus Christ. But as you believe in Jesus for salvation, don't stop there. Continue to trust and depend on him every step of the way in every aspect of your life. If he saved you, he'll also sanctify you. He'll also sustain you. He will keep you. He will help you. Notice how the centurion entrusted Jesus that which is of most importance to him, that which is of value to him. Right? He rides everything on Jesus, healing his servant. Depending on Jesus is seen when we trust him with our greatest needs. That which is of most importance 
to us. What is most valuable to you? I would dare say it's probably your life, your family, your kids. Those things that you hold dear to you. Are you entrusting those things to Jesus Christ? Are you trusting Jesus Christ with your marriage? Are you trusting Jesus Christ with that depression that you may be experiencing? Are you trusting Jesus Christ with your, your greatest concerns and your greatest needs? Are you trusting him? What does that look like to come before Jesus Christ and to lay it before him? And to know that God is able and he's sufficient and he will meet every single need that you bring before him. And God is not slack. He will not, he will not falter. Even when it feels like it sometimes. Even when it feels like God is not hearing you. Trusting in him is the greatest thing that you can do. The centurion's dependence and faith in Jesus was, was seen in him sending the Jewish elders to intercede on his behalf. We see the centurion, he, he did not feel worthy enough to go to Jesus Christ, so he sent the Jewish elders. And, and, and in, in essence, it's as if he was saying, because they are, are Jewish and Jesus Christ is Jewish and because they're elders of the synagogue, he respected their authority. He, expect, he respected who the Jewish elders were. And he said, look, if you go talk to Jesus Christ and have him come to heal my servant, then maybe it'll be done. The centurion sends them to intercede. And, and they're interceding to Jesus Christ and they're pleading on his behalf. They're pleading on his behalf that Jesus Christ would heal him. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, know that you can depend on him because he is interceding for you and for me before the Father. Jesus Christ is pleading on your behalf. He doesn't, he doesn't have to plead because he's got the hands and the nail-scarred hands and the nail-scarred feet. He's before the Father, interceding on your behalf. And he doesn't, he doesn't have to bring up your works like the Jewish elders did. The Jewish elders spoke about his works and said that he's worthy for you to do this because of what, he, what he's done for us, because he's built the synagogue, because he loves the Jewish nation. This is why he's worthy. But when Jesus intercedes for us, he doesn't intercede by our works. He intercedes by the work that he has done on the cross. And that is all the reason that we need to trust in Jesus Christ, to believe in Christ, to be your intercessor. We demonstrate that we're trusting in Jesus through prayer. We hear so much about prayer, but it's an area that we struggle with probably the most. To find time to pray to God, and it's not just finding time to get in our prayer closet, but praying without ceasing. To pray in our prayer closet, but at the same time to also pray while we're on the road. Lord Jesus, help me. Pray when we're getting into a meeting. Pray when we are giving advice to someone. Pray in every situation and circumstance. Lord, help me. Lord, I need you. Lord, give me wisdom. Lord, give me strength. Those are short prayers that, re that demonstrate our dependence on God. And when we don't pray to God, it, it, it communicates to God that we've got this. That I, I, don't, I don't need you as much as I think that I need you. We have the awesome privilege of taking all our cares to the Father any time of the day, morning, noon, and night. 
There have been times when I've been worrying about something, something has come up in my life, and, and I've been worrying about it, and I've been trying to figure out how I'm going to fix it. And then it's almost as if I get a divine slap upside the head, and God's like, have you forgot about my word? Have you forgot about what I told you to, to cast all your cares before me because I care for you? Have you forgotten about my word? Have you forgotten about me? And I'm like, I haven't even prayed to God. I haven't brought it before his altar. That is what it means to trust in God, to bring everything before him. He says all your anxieties, all your health issues, mental, physical, every health issue, depression, unbelief, your school, your work, your marriage, children, finances, he says everything. Bring everything to God in prayer. If you're going to demonstrate amazing faith, it requires that you depend on Jesus, not just sometime, but all the time. But not only do we see the centurion demonstrating his dependence on Jesus Christ, we also see something else that is vital if we're going to, to grow in our faith and to have greater faith, and that is to, to be poor in spirit. We see that playing out here in this particular verse as we look at verses 4 and 5. It says, and, and when they came to Jesus, when the, when the Jewish elders came to Jesus, they, they pleaded with him earnestly saying, he is worthy to have you do this for him, for he loves our nation and he is the one who built us our synagogue. And in verse 6, and Jesus went with them. When he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Poor in spirit. Poor in spirit means that you know that you are morally bankrupt before God. That nothing you can do, no amount of good works, is sufficient to atone for your sins, to make you to fight, be in favor with God except for faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. And we see a good illustration in this passage about what it means to be rich in spirit and what it means to be poor in spirit. On the one hand, we see the Jewish elders and who, who, who gives us a picture of what it means to not be poor in spirit. They're coming before Jesus Christ, and, and what is the very thing that they do? They start to bring up the fact that he is worthy to have you come and heal his servant because he loves our Jewish nation and because he has built our synagogue. So he is basing the reason why Jesus Christ should respond on his good works. In their heart, they felt because the centurion was morally good that he was worthy of Jesus' time and healing. And nothing could be more opposite to being poor in spirit than to go before God and to declare that we are worthy. And if we're honest with ourselves, we may not say it, but many times that's the way we believe. And I know that's the way we believe because if we're going through a trial or tribulation, and we pray to God, and God doesn't answer our prayers, sometimes we may reflect back on all the things that we've been doing and wondering why God is not answering our prayers. Lord, I've been faithful in coming to church. Lord, I have been studying my word. I'm further along than where I used to be last year. I'm, I'm trying to, to follow your, your lead and and Lord, I've even made some sacrifices in my life. I've given up some things 
that I never thought I would give up. Why aren't you answering my prayers? I deserve for you to answer my prayer. And again, while we may not always say it, it's in our heart. I know it because I've done it. And it's so easy for us to get into that mindset that we are worthy, that our works somehow gain us greater favor with God above our faith. But it's our faith in us, our trust in God, trusting in him completely and not our works. Like the Jewish elders, they were, they were, they were leaning more on his, his works. And that's sometimes the way that we get when we pray and when we plead to God that we would get that job or that we would get into that school or that he would remove that burden that we're carrying. And when he doesn't do that, when we begin to think about all the things that we are doing to serve God as if that is what should justify God responding to our request, then we are looking at ourselves as being rich in spirit because we are using our moral goodness to move the hand of God. And when God doesn't respond the way that we want in the, in the time that we want, we sometimes get mad, right, and cop an attitude, right? And so we have to be careful of that. Amazing faith only pleads for help by God's amazing grace through the blood of Jesus Christ. That is the only way that we plead before God is we plead before God by his grace and not our works. We see the centurion's poor in spirit. We see his attitude is completely different. If you look at how he responds in contrast to how the Jewish elders responded, Jesus Christ is on his way. And he's on his way not because of his good works that he heard about, but Jesus Christ is on his way and he's going to see what his faith is. And we see the centurion sends another group of friends to Jesus Christ before he even arrives to his house. So at some point, the centurion said, wait a minute. I'm not even worthy to have Jesus, Lord, under my roof. And so he sends another group of friends to meet Jesus Christ on the way. And he says that I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof. And he says that, therefore, I did not presume to come to you. He says, that's why I didn't even come to you, because I'm not worthy to be in your presence. That is what it means, or that is what it looks like to be poor in spirit. The centurion didn't even mention his good works before God. He didn't mention the fact that he, he spent money and time to build the, the, the synagogue. He didn't mention the fact that he loved the Jewish nation. He didn't mention any of these things. He just mentioned the fact that he was unworthy. Do you feel worthy or unworthy? Sometimes we, we walk around and we enter, we enter God's presence. We enter the church when we want. We pray how we want. We live how we want as though God should be grateful to have us in the kingdom. We need to repent. We need to have mercy. Ask God for mercy. And, and just to know the fact that we get to enter into his presence and that we are children of God should, should humble us and to keep us humble. 
But sometimes, just like a lot of things, when you're in a relationship, sometimes you take things for granted. And we, we lose sight of, of the great privilege that we have, right? You know, just kind of like sometimes when you were looking for a job that you were, you were wanting to get to a specific job, and, and you may have, may have gotten employed and gotten that job, and you were just really excited about the job, and you were just so honored to, to have it and to work, and then after two or three years, looking for another job. Have you ever been anywhere or been someplace where you knew you did not deserve to be there? I mean, you just knew, I, I don't deserve to be in the company of those who are here. It might be because of your talents, your skill set. It may be because of just some baggage that you have had. Whatever the case may be, you might be like, I, I know I don't deserve to be here. And, and so much is the case with, with us in our relationship with God, we don't deserve, but we are made worthy only by the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of his work, because of our relationship and our faith in Jesus Christ, we can come before God's throne boldly. Not arrogantly, but boldly. Is that us? Do we, do we recognize and do we, have, we, have we lost sight of how of much of a privilege it is to, to be a child of God? Have we lost sight of what a privilege it is to be in the kingdom? Have we lost sight of the privilege of it is to, to be set apart, to be sanctified, to be called holy, to be called God's people? Have we lost sight of the fact that we didn't deserve? Kind of like that person on the basketball court who know they can't play any basketball, but they got picked the first one on the team. It's like, man, I can't even play ball and he picked me. And you know, the thing is, when those, when you know you don't deserve something, you appreciate it even more. So if, when you know you don't deserve something and church starts at 11 o'clock, you don't walk in. You walk in early, be like, I know I don't even deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be in his presence. When you know you don't deserve it. You look for opportunities to pray to God because you're like, I, I know I shouldn't even be before his feet. You don't, you don't take it for granted. You're like, you're coming, you're coming before things are, are, are scheduled to take place. Because you're like, I know I don't even deserve to be here and I'm not going to give them an opportunity to revoke my privileges. Not that God will revoke your privileges because his privileges remain steadfast and, and are eternal, but... The fact is, it's just our mindset, right? It's our heart. I don't even, I don't even deserve this. I don't deserve to, to pray to God. I don't deserve to be called his child. I don't deserve to be called a friend of Jesus. When I look at all the things I've done and how I've rebelled against him, how, what I've done and what I, what I think, what I still do, and yet he still considers me. His son. And he looks at me with the same love that he looks at Jesus Christ. That's a privilege. That's what it means to be poor in spirit and say, I'm not worthy. And sometimes we have to continue to remind ourselves and to come before God's throne and ask God to check our heart. Lord, check, check me. Check my pride. Help me to not get 
too, too arrogant, Lord God. Help me to not think of more, myself more than I ought to. Because that's what the sinful nature does. Don't even recognize it a lot of times. But we see what is so amazing about this centurion is that he was, he was poor in spirit. He, he was a Roman centurion, a prestige position in the best military there was. It was like he was a Navy SEAL in the U.S. military. But at the same time, he was like, I'm not worthy of you, Jesus. Let us not think that being poor in spirit is just someone with a humble personality. It is to know that God owes me nothing, and I owe him everything. That is what it means. God owes me nothing. He owes me nothing. If, if we gave all we had to God and became international missionaries, we would still be no more deserving than if we didn't do any of those things. No more deserving. Our worth is only found in Jesus Christ. Matthew 5, 3 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that is the type of heart that God is looking for in his people, in his children, to be poor in spirit. And the fact, you know, it's just so amazing. I mean, when you look at, we know that the Jewish elders were praising the centurion before Jesus Christ. And so we know they were probably at times commending him and patting him on the back for all the good things that he was doing. But he didn't let those things go to his head. He remained humble because he, he had the right perspective. And sometimes if we start comparing ourselves to one another, it's easy for us to start to get rich in spirit. Because we start to look at what we're doing and we compare it to somebody else who's not doing that same thing. And then we, we start to begin to compare ourselves and think that we're worthy. But Jesus is our plumb line upon which we should be measuring ourselves. He is the one we should be looking at and saying that I can never achieve the works of Jesus Christ. And that will keep us humble. Rather than comparing ourselves to one another, we are to look at ourselves against Jesus Christ. Amen? So not only do we see that amazing faith is necessary or amazing faith is found in those who, who depend on Jesus Christ and who are poor in spirit, but we also see amazing faith comes to those who trust in Jesus' authority. We see this as the centurion in verse 7 and 8. He says, therefore, I did not presume to come to you in the latter part of that verse, he says, but, I say, but, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man set under authority with soldiers under me and I say to one, go, and, and he goes into another, come, and he comes into another, do this, and he does it. So the centurion, he's got a problem. He's like, Lord Jesus, I, I'm, not, I'm not worthy to have you under my roof, but if you're not under my roof, how are you going to heal my servant? But that wasn't a problem for the centurion. That's what makes his faith so amazing. Because what does he do? He says, Lord Jesus, just say the word where you're at. <laughs> this is what is truly amazing. 
The centurion says, you don't even need to be in the same place as me. And you can just say it and it'll be done. I don't need to see you work it out. I can just know that if you say it, that it's going to be done. I don't need to see a miracle take place. I just need to, to know that the message got to you. And I know that if the message got to you, you're going to deliver. And so that is what makes this passage so amazing. The fact that he trusted in Jesus Christ without even seeing Jesus Christ. Just, just say the words, Jesus Christ, and I know it'll be done. I know you got authority over all things. If I am a man and I tell a servant to go and do this, and I command people to go and go here and do that, then surely, he says, surely the man of God controls all things, can tell this sickness in my, my servant to, to flee. Surely. You control all things, God. Surely this, you don't need to be in the same place as me to, to heal. Surely your power is more potent and more greater than mine. A man who I just give orders and they do it, surely. Do you have that type of faith? Do you have that type of faith? The centurion already believed. He already believed in what Jesus would later say in Matthew 28, 18, where it says that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is just truly amazing. That is amazing faith. Just say the words, Jesus, and it'll be done. Do you, do you, are, you, are you striving for that type of faith? You may not, you may not be there. Lord, is that what you're pursuing? Lord, help me to trust in you when I can't trace you. Help me, Lord God, to, to know that you're working it out even when I can't see you. And that's, that's sometimes in this world in which we live where we, we're, we're so keen to seeing everything and we believe in the model seeing is believing. It's, it's a challenge for us to wrap our, our, our head around the fact that Jesus Christ can be in heaven and still be commissioning everything to, to take place. Still be organizing and governing everything that takes place. So nothing moves, nothing happens. Not a hair grows that he don't know about. It's mind-boggling, right? That's mind-boggling. Today, what does that look like to trust in Jesus' authority? God has given us his word, his holy Bible. God has left his word to give us direction in how we are to live our lives. We are to come under the authority of his word and to follow his word. If we trust in God's authority, then we will trust in God's holy word. You can't trust in God's power and not trust in his word in the Bible. You, you can't do it. trusting in his, his word, to come under the authority. And so for, for, for us to, to view every situation and circumstance through the Bible as it is our lens. It is the lens through which we see the world. So when we're, we're, when we're thinking about marriage and, and what marriage should look like, and when we're thinking about 
finances and, and how we should conduct our, our money. And when we're thinking about relationships and, and all these things, we should be first saying, okay, I, I don't, because I'm in God, I'm under a new authority. And so I need to consult God's word before I decide on how I need to move. It doesn't happen overnight, but that's something that we should be striving for. Lord, what is it you say? I know what the world is saying, but what is it that you say? What does your authority say? Because I can't move unless your word tells me to move in this way. Authority. The centurion got it. He knew the authority. He trusted in the authority of Jesus Christ. Just say the word, Jesus Christ. When you trust in the authority of Jesus, you can rest even though Jesus is out of sight because you know Jesus is out of sight. Know it. Even though he's out of sight, you can trust in him because you know that Jesus has all power and all authority. And sometimes it may not seem like it. He doesn't just have authority over the believers. He's got authority over the unbelievers. He's got authority over everything. So nothing happens that is a mistake or an oops to God. Everything he is aware of. The centurion knows this. Many of us believe in Jesus, but our faith is stunted because we have such a low view of his authority. We don't trust Jesus Christ to change our circumstances. We may have been going through the same situation year after year, and, 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 and time, distance, and circumstances have, have diminished our, our confidence in the authority of Jesus Christ to work things out. I've been going through this for years. It's not, it, it hasn't changed yet. It's never going to change. I've been going through this for years. Jesus has forgotten about me. He doesn't, he doesn't care about this situation. Jesus cares about every matter when it comes to his children. Many of you are parents. No, there's nothing that your children go through that you don't care about. You care about when they go to school. You care about what happens when they got off from school. You care about what they want. You care about everything. And surely, us who are sinners, if we care about everything that goes on with our children, surely God cares even more in a perfect way for his children. He's not negligent. Amen? If God can speak, let there be light and it be done. What is your request to him but a word? If God can speak and raise Lazarus from the dead, what is your situation or your request to God but a word? If, if Jesus can, can say to the storm, peace, be still, what are your trials and tribulations to Jesus Christ but a word? But a word. Just say the word. Just say the word. There is power in that name of Jesus Christ. And because he has all authority, you can, you can rest even when things aren't working out the way you want them to. So that when things aren't even working out the way you want them to, you can trust that it's, it's what is best at the moment. That God is doing something in my life or he's doing something to, to draw me closer to him. Because if everything is perfect, 
then I have a tendency to stray and to, to pretend like I don't need God as much. And so sometimes God has to govern some, some trials and some tribulations in our life to draw us nearer to him, to help strengthen our faith. It's an act of love because he knows that faith in him, there's nothing better that is, that is there's nothing that we need most or more than to trust in him. Are you giving your cares to God and trusting in his wisdom to fix it? To fix it even though you can't see him. When I wake up in the morning, I have the same routine. I'm a, I'm a creature by habit. I do the same thing every single morning. And those in my family know it. Part of the routine involves, you know, eating the same breakfast cereal. I eat the, I eat the same Cheerios every morning. I sit in the same spot at the table every morning. I do the exact same thing every single morning, and everybody knows it. And there are times every now and then when I get up and I'm getting ready for work and I'm getting ready to, to eat, I'll find Jasmine's laptop in the place where I sit. <laughs> and she'll have a note on it. And it'll have something about, you know, it couldn't, it's not printing or something's wrong with the wrong with the, with the document or something, regardless of what it is, she wants me to fix it. Now, keep in mind that she's been working on it that night, and she probably needs it that next morning for school. But she places her laptop in the place where I'm going to eat. She doesn't wake me up that night panicking. I need you to fix this. She places it in my spot because she knows where I'm going to be. And she trusts. Even though I'm not all wise, <laughs> even though I'm, I'm certainly, in, I'm, I'm not perfect, she trusts that I can fix it. So she puts it there. And then she goes to sleep. And if you go in her room, she will be sleeping like nothing else is, nothing's wrong. And she'll wake up in the morning and she'll trust that her issue is fixed, that everything is working. That is the same type of faith that God is looking for from his children. So to cast our prayers before him and to go to sleep and say, Lord, I know you got it. I don't have to wonder whether you got it. I don't have to question where you're at because I know where you're at. I don't have to know that you're all wise and all powerful to fix it. I know you can fix it. I know you got this, God, so I'm just going to go take a nap. I'm not even going to worry. I'm not, I've done all I can do. Now it's your turn. That is the type of faith that God is looking for from his children. To, to cast it before his altar and to say, Lord, I, I know you're going to fix it. And if you don't fix it, then it wasn't meant to be fixed. At least not at this moment. I know you got it. That's the type of faith he's wanting from his children in every single situation, not some situations, every single situation, relationships, hurts, pains, every single situation, because he cares about it all. If Jasmine can care or think that her dad can fix everything, which he can, then surely God can fix our issues and that he cares. Yeah. 
His word says that he doesn't change. His character is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow, forevermore. So you know he's going to be in the same place. You know he's everywhere. You know he's not going to change. His love is the same yesterday as it is today. His, his care for you is the same as when he sent Jesus Christ to down the cross as it was, as it is now. It, it hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's still the same. It's the same God. And so you can place it before him. And there's nothing wrong if you wake up the next morning and it's not fixed. You can go before his altar again and say, Lord, I'm going to cast it before you again. Not because I don't trust in you, but because you told me to, to continue to cast all my cares before you. And it just shows that I, I trust that you can fix it. And so I'm going to give it over to you. And that's what the centurion, that's what he does. That's the type of faith that God is looking for in his children. And when we do this, we will be commended for our faith as Jesus did the centurion. As we look at verses 9 and 10, how does Jesus respond? It says that when Jesus heard these things, when Jesus saw the friends come to him while he's on his way, Jesus Christ, it says he marveled at him. Marveled, also meaning amazed marveled at him and turned to the crowd that followed him and said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. There's only two times in the Bible where Jesus Christ has marveled. This is one. And then also in Mark, I believe, 6, verse 6, where he marveled at the unbelief of those in his own hometown. Only two times where Jesus Christ marveled. And what is amazing is that Jesus was amazed by his faith. He was amazed at the centurion's faith. Uh, Jesus just stops and he, and, he, and, he, and he turns to the people. He turns to the people because Israel was God's people. It was through Israel that God had, had revealed and fulfilled the plan of redemption. It was, it was to them that were all the prophets and the scholars, and, and yet it was a Gentile who demonstrated more faith than them. Faith doesn't care who you are. Faith doesn't care what color. God is impartial. He doesn't care as long as you have faith. As long as you have faith. Doesn't care what your background is, where you come from. Just put your trust in him. I mentioned to you at the beginning that, like we as parents do with our kids, God desires to see us excel in our faith. Just as we desire to see our kids excel in getting better grades. Though we, we might get into heaven, our, our mentality and our mindset shouldn't be, at least I got in. Because we start to settle. And we never seek to grow. We never seek to excel. We never seek to grow ex we never seek to excel or to grow in our faith. And, and that is what we see that it pleases God the most. God's word says that uh, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So we should, we should, as Christians, see that I need to grow in my faith. I need to continue to grow so that I'll please God. Because I know that he delights in those who delight in him.
This is seen in Jesus' comparison. His, his comparison between those who trusted in their works, trusted in them being rich in poverty, and between the centurion who was poor in spirit and who depended on Jesus to heal. He, he, it, it's just amazing when we see this. The centurion didn't feel worthy, but Jesus felt that his, his faith was praiseworthy. He didn't feel worthy, but Jesus felt that he was praiseworthy because of his faith. If we were to be commended by Jesus for our faith, we must depend on him in every single situation of our lives. We must be poor in spirit. We must trust in his authority, his authority to fix every single situation and to know that God has everything in control. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, truly, you are worth our time, our faith. You're worth our lives, Father God. We glorify you and give you all glory and honor. And Lord God, I pray, Father, even now that you would move in our lives, Father God, that we, Lord God, would, would learn to trust in you more and more as we go through this life, Father that we would learn how to depend on you, Lord God, knowing that depending on you is the greatest reward that we could receive. That depending on you, Lord God, will, will, will help us to gain a deeper relationship, to help us to, to know more about who you are and, and, and how you work, Lord. I pray, Father God, that you would, Lord, help us to be poor in spirit, that as we serve you, and as we minister to others, Father God, that we, Lord God, would not feel that we are more worthier than, 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 than before. But Lord, help us to remain humble, Father God, with a poor spirit. I pray, Father God, that you, Lord God, would also just help us, Lord, to trust in your authority. To know, Lord, that you have all things in control. And that we can depend on you in every single situation. To your name and to your name alone, we give all the glory and the honor. Amen. Amen. Amen.